Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Palmetto Shores Church Podcast. Uh, we're super excited uh, to continue in our Sunday seminars. Uh, in fact, this recording, this conversation is actually going to cover two of our sessions and also two chapters in the book of Acts, chapters two and three. So uh, we may cover a little more ground than we did last time. Not sure. Just to see how the conversation goes. But at any rate, um, in a way, this is kind of the, the launching point of the whole rest of the book of Acts. Uh, it's a fulfillment of that initial promise that Jesus gave in chapter 1, verse 8. And uh, just really a lot of exciting things about, about the church and um, just seeing kind of our story. I think Howard is here with me just as last week. And one of the things Howard keeps kind of helping us see is that what we're seeing here in Acts is supposed to help us understand who we are as the church. And, um, and so as we talk about these things, that's just something to keep in mind is that this is our story. This is our history. And uh, we're learning about uh, what God has called us to and what Christ has called us into through the gospel. So Howard, man, uh, welcome back. We're going to jump into chapter two. And at the beginning of chapter two, we hear about the day of Pentecost. And you took some time to kind of break that down and tell us uh, what the word means and what its significance is and what it meant to the Jews even before the, this Holy Spirit pouring out event. What did Pentecost mean even before uh, the, what, what we see here in Acts chapter 2? Yeah, well, it, it, again, it's, it's a beautiful thing that God does with this and, and, and Passover and its role, of course. But Pentecost technically means 50. Um, and, and it's always celebrated 50 days after Passover. It's also called the Feast of Harvest. Um, and we, we talk about that. Um, again, when, when you have Pentecost, you, Jesus has he's brought the, the disciples together. Um, and when he pours, so that's the day the Christians receive the Holy Spirit. When he does that, you really have, if you go back to Passover, 50 days. Um, that's when the blood of the sacrificial lamb was used to protect the Jews. And you get the cross, which has occurred, and that cross bridge is used from that Passover um, to the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And that's just really a, a cool picture um, and how God puts that together um, at Pentecost, you know, fulfilling what Jesus has said you know, he'll give us and, and come. So it's, it's really a neat story when you understand that background to it. Yeah, it's cool. I was actually thinking about this the other day. So where we are right now, it is, um, it is what is what day is it? May 15th. Uh, we just celebrated Easter. I'm pretty sure that Pentecost would be June 5th. Yeah, it's a Sunday. So uh, we're like, if, if you kind of want, want to imagine if Easter kind of, if you remember when Easter was, we would still be in the time period when Jesus was with the disciples, spending time with them, teaching them. We would still be in that 40-day window uh, that Jesus was with the disciples. And then 10, 10 more days go by, and then we have Pentecost. And like you said, man, it's, it's God's sovereignty. Like, this yeah. is not an accident. He, yeah. he, did, he poured out his spirit on this particular day for a particular reason. Um, so let's get into the details a little bit about what actually happens. I'm going to read uh, a little bit from Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'll just pick up in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews 
devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Uh, so let's just stop there for a second, uh, kind of pause. Um, what is the significance? Like, what are a couple things that, that, that are that about this moment that are so significant for understanding the church and understanding who we are as God's people? Well, and that there's so much to this. A couple of things we just, we touched the surface really only. Um, it talks about the wind, uh, which in the Old Testament had been used to um, consecrate temples. And, and now, of course, it's consecrating the new temples where the spirit will reside. Um, God's presence is denoted continually as, as fire throughout the Bible. Hebrews, mm-hmm. when we quoted, used Hebrews twelve twenty nine there. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you, you see the fire there. So God's presence being there mm-hmm. uh, shaped his tongue. And, and uneducated men, everybody knows, are, are speaking in, in languages that all can understand. And, and really what that's doing is glorifying Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's showing us um, what like we talked about in Acts 1. You know, Christ's last thing he's told us is to go and make disciples mm. here, there, and everywhere. Um, and this is so everybody can understand. It's reinforcing the whole, this is for the world. Take this to the world. Mm-hmm. So God's spirit comes, the wind, the fire, um, and, and all can understand. So this, his message can go to all people. Uh, again, there's there's a tremendous amount that's obviously happening here, but that's kind of the basics that we covered. Again, really reinforcing take this y'all are going to be the church is going to be how your people are going to get to know god and i need y'all to go you know spread this awesome um i love it's it's hard it's hard almost to even imagine what this scene would have been like it's it's hard to almost paint the picture in your head you know um but apparently whatever was going on it was so chaotic and so crazy that onlookers kind of started to surround around, and they thought they were drunk. You know, they, they think they're seeing like people, but it's funny because it says in the text that it was nine o'clock in the morning. So uh, Peter clearly says, hey, that's not, you know, that's not what's going on here. Um, and, 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 and what I love and what we see really throughout the whole Bible and, and even in Acts too, and uh, Acts as well, I should say, is that yes, God does these miraculous signs. God does pour out his power, but then he always explains what's going on. And so it's not just a powerful event. It's not just a story. God gives us revelation that then explains what's just happened. And that's exactly what Peter does. Peter stands up and he frames for for thousands of people that are now watching what's going on. He frames for them what is taking place. And so why don't you give us a few of the highlights, kind of summarize and then give us a few of the highlights of Peter's speech or sermon, you might say, that he gives right after the Pentecost event takes place. Well, and I, what makes this so powerful, we talked about in, in the first time, is they've unlocked Peter's ability to understand um, the prophecies, the Old Testament, and that pointing to the Messiah, you know, from where Peter was, you know, what, 50 days ago, basically, <laughs> to where he is now, he can see how all these prophecies that all the Jews know are coming to be fulfilled. And so the first thing he does there, he quotes Joel, um, again, showing the fulfillment of prophecy. That's Joel 2, 28 through 32. And he, he points to them. <laughs> he does point out that they're not drunk at 9 in the morning. But <laughs> we're living in the last days. And, you, you know, today being May 15th, um, Ronnie was talking about that. Today, again, we are in those last mm-hmm, days. And, mm-hmm. and 
they all were expecting that. And that, that's a big component of it. Um, but again, it's this continual theme of what Acts is really showing the scripture base of the church, the fulfillment of that prophecy through Joel. Mm-hmm. Also, Numbers 11, um, 29, where, that's where Moses has wished the Lord would rest his spirit on the people and that they would prophesy. And this is what's happening right here is what something Moses had wished for now that Christ has come is, is being answered. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have all these people speaking and all these people being able to understand, it shows you that we're all called to engage. Um, we're all called to know him and make him known. It's not just Peter. It's not just one. It's all Jews from around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really goes to show that this gospel, this message, is as Christ said, you know, take it to the ends of the world. That's what he wants to do, and, mm-hmm. and he shows it right here. So, mm-hmm. again, with a, with a lot that Peter's making there, he's again showing these Jews how the what they all know of the Messiah is being fulfilled. He hits on that. He he goes into the last days and. Again, with Moses and things of that nature, it's just a ton that's that's in that part, mm-hmm. um, and it really convicts them. Though. I mean, it goes to as they can see this is the Messiah, and then as we go you go further into it, what's happened, that's where they become convicted. That's right, that's right. Towards the end of the the sermon, there Peter clearly preaches the gospel. He tells them about the Christ who was who suffered, died, was resurrected. And it's funny because Peter doesn't even make the call for them to respond. Mm-hmm. At the end of, in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, again, uh, Peter's saying this is not a... Um, just this is not one person getting this, or this is not just a, a small select group of people. This is anyone who comes to faith in Christ, receives the gifts of the Spirit, and now has this relationship with God, this direct access, access to God because of what Jesus has done. Um, and then we see here that it, it would appear that in the pouring out of the Spirit, the church as we know it, as the body of Christ, is born. Um, so now the head of the church has ascended, Jesus, he's ascended, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He pours out his spirit and his body is now formed. So now you have a head and you have a body. And we see here in Acts 2 the first snapshot, the first picture of what this body does. How does this pot- body live together? What is the church supposed to be and do? And we see that in um, verses 42 through 47. And I think it's worth reading Uh, And then I'll just maybe ask you to pull out a few of the highlights, a few of the things that you think, like, what are some key markers that make up this this early church? Um, So this is Acts 2, starting in verse 42. It says, And and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day 
those who were being saved. Um, so if you had to pull out a few of the highlights of, of what we see here about the first glimpse of what the body of Christ is supposed to be and do, uh, what would be a few of those things that you'd want to highlight? Well, I, the one thing I, I go back to, and we talked about again with Acts 1, and it, as we tied it into to Luke, um, you know, kind of being one story, the mm-hmm. first thing they do when, when Christ sends them back and they come together is pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, is something I, I don't want to lose sight of. But you know, this part in, in 42, as you know, it's one of my favorite part. Really, it, it really shows the church. They come together. They pray. God gives them the spirit. They've just seen this. Uh, it's awesome. I mean, this is, 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 you want to talk about an exciting time. A couple of things that stand out in there. Again, there's a, a lot. I don't want to skip it. But mm-hmm. it talks about they do life together and and they meet everybody's needs. Um, and, and people focus, you know, on giving you know selling of land or giving everything they have Mm -hmm. but i always think of it to meet somebody's needs Mm. you've got to know them Mm. and you can see they they live together they spend all this time together so they know each other's needs that's how you help them um they study god's word you know the apostles teaching um Mm -hmm. and and that's key but this devotion to to one another this time together um Meeting everybody's needs does not happen if you don't know them. And mm. that's the church being corporate. That's mm-hmm. the church being a body. Uh, today's society tends to think we don't have to have the church or due to certain experiences, maybe you bounce from church to church. This is a clear example, I think, of that not being the case. Mm. Um, you, you do life together. They're mm-hmm. in the temple, which is the corporate body, and homes. Again, the small group aspect it's a large place where that ministry is done mm-hmm. um and so again prayer is re-emphasized here um and the, the lord's supper is, is another thing you know mm-hmm. that communion time mm-hmm. uh being connected to the body of christ i mean there's so much that comes yeah. out of it but in, in some main points i go back though to that prayer um aspect the corporate aspect and that's how you meet everybody's needs you got to know them mm-hmm. Man, that's awesome. I know you giving those specific examples, you know, is awesome, is, is great. You know, prayer, the word, fellowship, uh, breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper, the taking care of one another's needs and how that, that means we must know each other. We must know what needs are if we're going to take care of one another's needs. But I think a more general, as I step back and just look at it, one of the things that stands out to me is just what it, mean, what it meant for them to become a Christian and to be the church is that it was a life-consuming thing. Um, this was not just like one slice of the pie in their life. This was not just uh, one compartment of their life. Overnight, their entire, the entirety of who they knew they were and the entirety of, of everything they were thinking and doing and ways of living was totally changed. Right. And um, I just love seeing that this, this, this gospel truth that they had believed became all-consuming to them and their worship of Jesus and their life together took a top priority. And um, I know that's not necessarily like a, I don't know, you wouldn't call that like a, um, a, uh, a factor of the church or something like that, but it is, it's just a, a, a cool illustration of what happens when Jesus really does take over our whole life. Well, and that's a great point. And it <clears throat> happens at a time where it's much harder, more dangerous, and difficult mm. to have that life change. Mm-hmm. You know, 
from the Jews themselves, from the from every out. That's right. It's not like today. It'd be much yeah. easier to do that today and kind of, kind of be left alone than than back then. It meant a, a lot of different, difficult, challenging things for this to happen to them back then. That's right. And as we as we work through Acts, and we're not going to get into the whole book of Acts, but if you do go, if you like, we we really encourage you. By the way, if you're listening to this, please read the whole book of Acts. You know, go study the whole the whole story. But what you're what you're going to see is that. When a lot of people's lives start getting changed, it causes some ruffles in the feathers of society, and this is not a smooth path you know, going forward. There's going to be people who are beaten, who are killed, who are put in prison, um, and so it, it, it was both the most joyous and the most amazing thing that ever happened to them. But, but again, when something does become all-consuming for you, sometimes it does cost you a lot. But apparently for them at this point, I mean, they were just so filled with joy and so excited about what God was doing in their midst. They didn't even care. You know, they didn't care what the, what the consequences were um, because their lives had been changed and they had met Jesus. And, um, and uh, man, I love how we see that there were so many people uh, at the end of verse 41, we learned that 3,000 were added. And then at the end of verse seven, uh, 47, it tells us, that, tells us that day by day people were being saved. But then as we turn to chapter 3, you, you brought something out. It's kind of like if chapter 2 is this picture of like, what does it look like for 3,000 people to get saved? Chapter 3 narrows in on one individual, one person's life. Um, and so uh, why don't I read just a, a little bit about uh, cha- into chapter 3, and then we can talk about, about what happens there. So this is how chapter 3 opens up. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood, stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. We'll just stop there. Um, so what are so, just a couple observations you made about the context and about the significance of this particular healing event? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I, we, I kind of was starting with, like you said, the Feast of Harvest, Pentecost, 3,000 people. Well, this really, in, in my, purely my opinion, is where you see the example of how you take the church which created, you see in the... And, and chapters one and two, and goes into daily life. Um, and here's Peter. He, he's going to the temple. This is a place that he has gone a lot uh, every day. It's part of their culture, it's part of their tradition. They're going there. Uh, this man, this cripple, he, he's been crippled since birth. He's been going to this gate and begging pretty much his whole life. So you, you've got something that Peter and John, they've done thousands of times like we do every day like going to church every Sunday it's just something you do you've got this beggar that everybody's going to know because he's been there forever mm-hmm. he's been crippled forever 
um, and they're go people are all going to know that he's broken uh, things of that nature. But today, something's different. <laughs> um, again, it's, it's this daily routine that we all get caught up with. Something is different today. Um, and, and when they walk by him, what's, you start to see what's different, and it's the Holy Spirit. And as you go on, as we go on in this chapter, I mean, Peter fully gives credit to where where's due is, <laughs> right. is, is to that. But mm-hmm. this first marriage, you see, you got to understand, this is something that, like we do every day. It's like going to church on Sunday for them. And this is a, a man, a broken man. He's been crippled all his life, 40 years, that everybody's going to know. Um, and that's what's different is the Holy Spirit. And, and you go from the 3,000 to reaching down and healing this one man. And, and that's through Christ. And um, we'll get into it more. But again, let's go highlight not Peter, but Christ and restoration and, and, and a lot of what can come out of this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, so they do. They heal this man in the name of Jesus. And he leaps up, starts jumping around, all excited, you know, because he's been lame for so many years. And as he starts jumping around, it's, it almost is reminiscent of chapter 2, where uh, when the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the people start speaking in the different languages, and they're hearing it in different languages, kind of causes a commotion. And then it gives Peter the opportunity to explain and give a speech, give a sermon. The same kind of thing happens in chapter 3. The healing then kind of creates a commotion, and it gives opportunity for Peter to, to speak the truth. It gives opportunity for Peter to frame what's happening in, through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of the gospel. And so um, why don't you just kind of do the same thing like we did to, in, in chapter 2, maybe give just a couple of the highlights of the um, sermon in chapter 3 and what, what was significant about it. And, um, yeah, what was Peter trying to get across after they had seen this uh, lame beggar uh, raised up to, to walk again? Yeah. Well, it, it did. It got the commotion. It got people to know, again, everybody else has seen him there, and, and now he can, he can walk. So it's something everybody will recognize. And um, one of the first things Peter does is he calls Jesus uh, his servant. Um, and we, we talk about... Isaiah fifty two thirteen, you know both of the, and all is that Isaiah fifty three eleven as well. Both of those verses pointing to who the Messiah is. Both of them referencing him as a servant, as the holy and righteous one. Again, what you see Peter continually doing, um, showing the Jews who Christ was, that he is the Messiah, um, and what's happened to him, and, and, and in fourteen where he clarifies, you know, the, not just a, a great teacher um, being raised up and exalted, but, you know, the holy and righteous one mm-hmm. um, really is going to convict them. Um, and when he talks about the source of life in, in verse 15, we talk about the resurrection um, that he talks about. You have to be the source of life. So he's clarifying to them this person, Christ, whom is all these things, who must be the source of life, who is uh, who Isaiah is pointing to in 52.13 and 53.11, um, that's who we're talking about. This resurrection proves he must be the um, source of life, and this is who you have killed, who you have turned over. Um, as you saw in the last, it is a convicting point. He's just drilling home um, 
to the Jew, you know, they, they know the signs they're looking for, and he's clearly showing how they're fulfilled mm-hmm. um, in Christ. And then he comes to, you know, 19, where there's the hope. And this is something we've got to make sure we always tie to our message, but the repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, you have done these things, but guess what? There's hope in him, and him who is the source of life. Mm-hmm. You can be forgiven, and, and you can have hope. You can be restored to so his example, this miracle that you've just seen. Um, really, it's just a one-man example of, of what God is offering to all of us, what God wants taken across the, the globe, mm. um, across the ends of the earth, uh, really giving you more insight as to why this example. One thing we talked about uh, this with this beggar, this one man, He's not more qualified than you or me. (laughs) When we pray for healing, he doesn't even ask to be healed. Mm -hmm. Um, And and sometimes we wonder, why did I get this or why did I not get healed? God was totally sovereign here. Mm -hmm. And and the miracle is about Christ. It's not about the beggar. Mm -hmm. And you you can see that's really what Christ, again, with the repentance, he has given to all of us to be restored um, and that's how all of this kind of comes together. Yeah. Yeah, I love you highlighting repentance. It comes up twice, you know, in this sermon. And, you know, sometimes I think we can tend to think about repentance only in the negative. It's, you know, just stop doing bad stuff, you know, put away all the bad in your life. But in both of the instances that repentance is talked about, it actually comes with a very uh, positive uh, tone, and it, it's about good news. Uh, the first one in verse 19, it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. And then verse 20 continues, That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So repentance is connected to refreshing. Mm-hmm. And then down in verse 26, the last verse that we covered today, kind of a similar thought. It says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So it's a blessing. Repentance is not this like big bad thing that's hanging over our lives. Repentance is a blessing that God is inviting us back to him, that we are getting the opportunity to to return through Jesus back to God. And uh, that is the message. Uh, you said at the beginning that chapter 3 and chapter 4 really go together, yeah. uh, but we did decide to break it up, so that is kind of where we're going to stop. And so do you have any final thoughts on chapters 2 and chapter 3 uh, before we wrap it up? Um, there's just, again, so much there. I know everything we kind of go into is cursory. There's so much depth through what God just does, um, really in the continuation of Luke being Christ's ministry here the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the continuation of Christ's ministry through the Holy Spirit mm. as we all get restored and ultimately get to spend our eternal life with Him because of Christ. It's, it's one beautiful picture that really is a great snapshot here. Um, and, and as we go into to four, the continuation here, once you've seen Peter do in the sermon he gives, the rubber starts to hit the road, right? Um, and it becomes a little less talk. Uh, and and <laughs> for, um, and certainly as you go forward, so it's just, you know, you'll see God continue to work, the church continue to grow. You see that through um, persecution. So there's a lot to it. It's just, it really is so much a, a 
encourage people to really read this part and then like you said continue reading it because it's just an amazing story um as it continues that's right this is uh this is our story this is our history uh this is uh we're the church and this is where where it all began as jesus ascended poured out his spirit and launched uh his body into action and so it's been exciting uh as always uh, if you want to come join us for the last segment on uh, next Sunday night, we would love to have you. Uh, even if you haven't been here for the first three, I think you'll be able to jump right in. And especially if you've listened to these, you can jump right in. We'll cover cover chapter four and then look forward to recording uh, one more session uh, after that. So uh, again, encourage you guys, dig into your Bibles, read through this wonderful story, uh, see what Peter says about Jesus and see how the Holy Spirit uh, transforms our lives and transforms the church. Uh, we've loved talking and uh, hope to hope to talk to you guys later peace out good night